African Dialogue, looking at different events in depth, discussing a variety of issues. What we see here is a clear violation of one, the right to privacy of Tiwonge and uh, Stephen. The position of Greenpeace is that it's been a disappointing meeting. Good morning, good morning Africa. Thank you for joining us right here on Channel Africa, the place where you get the African perspective. Thank you for joining me, Benjamin Moshatama, right here on our shortwave service on the frequency 9625 kilohertz on the 31 meter band to Southern Africa. Uh, and also we on DSTV on Channel 802 on the audio bouquet. Don't forget that you can also stream us live on www.channelafrica.co.za. And uh, today we are asking that question on our social media. Why are we seeing such a clampdown on homosexuality in some African countries? Go to our at African Dialogue Twitter handle or at Channel Africa One and uh, give us your thoughts there. What you think of uh, uh, this particular topic indeed? Is it a cultural taboo or is it just a, a norm for us not to understand uh, the issues when it comes to this uh, gender orientation? Uh, give us your thoughts at Channel Africa One. That's our Twitter handle at African Dialogue. That question again is. Uh why are we seeing such a clam down on homosexuality in some African countries? In the latest action to stop homosexuality, last week two South Africans were held and inter- interrogated by Tanzanian police in the capital, Dar es Salaam, for allegedly promoting homosexuality. Uh, they are yet to be charged. News reports state that the two are part of the group of 12 men, including a Ugandan and nine Tanzanians, who were arrested at a hotel. The East African countries not only want to impose such harsh laws against the LGBT group. Uh, We know that according to Amnesty International, homosexuality is illegal in 38 of 54 countries in Africa and is punishable by death in Mauritania, Sudan and Somalia. Well, to help us on this, we're joined by various guests to give us their differing views on this particular topic. On the line, we're going to start the conversation with Juliet Mpande, who is uh, Communications and Media Advocacy Manager at African Men for Sexual Health and Rights, also known as AMSHE. Uh, she's joining us uh, on the line, I think, from Johannesburg, if I am not mistaken. Now, let's start with you, Juliet, before we connect with our other guests on the line. Uh, two South Africans continued to be detained without trial in Tanzania following the unlawful arrest for what the country's government has termed promoting homosexuality. Seems like homosexuality remains a taboo on the African continent, particularly we're seeing this clam down in East Africa. Uh, good morning, Benjamin. Uh, thank you so much for that. Um, like you said, I work with the African Men for Sexual Health and Rights, uh, AMSHA. Uh, AMSHA is an organization that has, it's a, clo- it's a global, it's a, an African coalition that uh, works out of, um, that has members in 15 countries and 20 um, 20 organizations um, are members of AMSHA, and one of those members is actually CHESA, which is um, based in Tanzania, and one of the people who were arrested and detained is, um, is a board member for the African Men for Sexual Health and Rights, as well as um, 
Uh, he's the director of Chester, which is a member of AMSHA. But I also want to speak to the fact that um, uh, the two South Africans who are held, actually lawyers, who are in the process of um, working with Chester to come up with, uh, to build a case around the case, uh, to build a case around access to justice in a Tanzanian court. Mm. Uh, so why now? Why the countdown in Tanzania? I mean, having worked across the continent uh, with African men for sexual health and rights and being part of the global, uh, the African uh, regional movement, uh, we find these things are very, the patterns are usually common. Uh, the LGBTI community or individuals who have a particular sexual orientation and gender identity are usually used as scapegoats by African countries to try and deflect from real issues. So if you look at Tanzania right now, there are a myriad of issues that are happening in that country. Um, there's a calm down on um, basic freedoms amongst the citizenry. Um, you have arbitrary, arbitrary decisions that are being made by the government to shut down on um, provision of health services that they may not agree with. And oftentimes you find that when governments become unpopular or they make unpopular decisions, then they begin to use homosexuality or anti-LGBTI legislation or policy decisions as um, a deflection uh, from being held accountable. Well, let's look at this uh, particular issue because it's uh, one that uh, has actually raised uh, a lot of uh, heads in the international community. And the question is, uh, why is uh, are we seeing this uh, type of uh, response from an African perspective? I just uh, announced earlier on that uh, according to Amnesty International, homosexuality is illegal in 38 or 54 countries on the continent. Do we know why we have this rife attack on the homosexual community? Uh, staying with you, uh, Juliet, before I come to Lisa, who will come with a completely different view to you. Well, I think it, I will go back to the same uh, uh, answer that I gave, but uh, without uh, adding, uh, without deflecting uh, 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 completely from the question that you pose, uh, there are a couple of countries that are actually making advancements in terms of their respect for um, the dignity of individuals. For example, in Botswana in September, um, a decision was passed by a court to allow um, transgender individuals to have uh, a sex marker of their choice. Um, uh, you have uh, Kenya that's uh, in the process of, um, uh, is about to hear, uh, the appeal court will hear arguments on uh, anal uh, testing as uh, a human rights violation. So those are some of the countries that are making advancements. But on the other hand, you have uh, a larger part of the African continent is actually going backwards as opposed to forwards in terms of um, uh, trying to suppress a community that um, is uh, considered a minority. And, uh, and then uh, historically you've had so many, um, a lot of African governments inherited these laws from uh, their colonial masters. And in most cases they will not, um, they have not um, implemented these, these laws unless it's convenient. So if you follow the patterns, you find that the countries that are actually pushing back very hard against LGBTI communities or um, sexual diverse and gender variant individuals are themselves having problems. And this cannot be a single issue. It's a clampdown on entire freedoms within a specific country. That includes clampdown on the media, uh, suppressing civil society organizations, uh, to mention but a few. So it's, 
I can't argue it from a cultural perspective, but more from a manipulation and um, a, a ploy that's used by governments that will not be held accountable by their citizenry. Well, let me come to you, uh, Juliet. Uh, I know, not Juliet, rather, Lisa, I know that uh, you have volunteered Doctors for Life International and a, a former homosexual, and I'd like to get a different view from you because uh, with topics like this, uh, we can't be just one-dimensional in the way we approach them. We have to get all sides of the story. But I know you have a different view, and I promise my producer that I'll make sure that no one attacks you on this program on your your views and your different stance but i think it's good to open different views so we can have a bigger debate around these uh, issues lisa i know that uh, doctors for life have a different view on the issue of sexual orientation and uh, you look at it from a, a more scientific perspective can you elaborate on that yes absolutely and um you know i'm open to anybody and anyone with um, further questions to the next statements that i will be making but, um, look, if I just um, want to just say firsthand, with firsthand experience as well, our stance is definitely not, um, um, you know, um, the, the type of stance that promotes discrimination and hate. Our stance is definitely one that looks into the interest group, um, namely the former homosexuals who struggle with same-sex attraction and who don't want that anymore. So our focus is more on those who realize you know, um, uh, with the scientific studies that back and su- back and support it and support it, you know, like the harms of the lifestyle. Um, having first-hand experience, okay, um, if you if, if you if you look at the LGBT community as a whole, okay, you have to realize what it represents, okay. And for the majority of LGBT um, people, I mean, you can even see it at a gay pride parade, you know, that it's. Um, a promotion of, of, of sexual brokenness, okay, and uh, substance abuse and a life of just clubbing and partying and promiscuity. And, you know, a lot of experts and therapists who deal with these people, you know, um, um, myself including coming from that lifestyle, you know, um, can testify to, um, you know, a lot of people who have actually gone into the, the lifestyle was because they have a past of either sexual abuse um, they have a past of either uh, being exposed to pornography or they have, um, okay, for, 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 for women, it would be the case of having a violent father, um, you know, and the psychologist explains, um, uh, Dr. Michelle Crutella, a pediatrician, she explains that, um, you know, psychologically these women will not feel safe and then they will start to um, act out a little bit more masculine, you know, with a goal in mind to sort of think, okay, being a female is not safe, but if I act in a more masculine way, you know, that will get the attention that, I, um, that I'm looking for. Mm. And um, if I can just say, you know, it is wrong to force people, you know, homosexuals, um, you know, to, it, it's wrong to force them into a direction, you know, um, like, you know, to, to partake in heterosexual relationships. And it is also wrong for those who have different convictions to be forced to accept this uh, lifestyle, but in no way do we promote and um, stand behind any form of legislation that discriminates against them and promotes hate.
Well, I'll come back to those because someone, uh, Lisa, as we have this open debate, will argue that it's those sentiments or those kind of views that entrench uh, uh, a real opposition and uh, uh, a real onslaught on homosexuals. And we'll come back to those views and really unpack them a little bit more as we have this open discussion uh, with you. But let me move to you, Nila Kushal. She is uh, a researcher in the LGBT rights division at Human Rights Watch. We're getting a different views that are coming in. And uh, we started with Juliet Mbande, who was highlighting just how entrenched uh, uh, this issue of uh, uh, clam- clamming down on homosexuality is on the African continent. Lisa brings in a different view from Doctors for Life, saying that there's no real scientific proof around the reasons behind homosexuality. But I want to come to you in terms of the ripeness of this homosexuality stance on the continent as someone who's really researched it in a very in-depth manner Neela what are your thoughts around the reasoning behind it Neela are you there well I think we lost Neela there we'll try and see how we get it back but you were trying to assess the situation Juliet as we try to get Neela back uh, on the issues of uh, running away from cultural stereotypes and running away uh, from the issues of the the, the more societal views on the LGTB uh, community and it seems like uh, that is where the problem is the fact that these uh, onslaughts on uh, homosexuality, the attacks on um, uh, the community itself seems to be rooted uh, from these cultural and societal views that we have on the community. Um, Yeah, thank you so much for that, Benjamin. Um, I think having done this work on the continent for over 10 years, I have realized that uh, culture is dynamic, obviously, we all know that. Sure. But then, uh, within the African um, narrative, you find there are pockets of individuals who begin to, um, like, uh, like, sort of like uh, flame, fi- like flame fires, like uh, build fires around a, a topical issue. Mm-hmm. So, if, if you, uh, what we've done at Amsha so far is we have um, we've worked with different cultural leaders and faith leaders across the continent. And you'll find amongst this group that once you do uh, a sensitization uh, meeting or you build a relationship with them, you begin to change hearts and minds. And most of them will tell you that they really do not have a problem with uh, uh, sexual diverse and gender variant people across the continent. However, it only becomes a problem when politicians and political leaders begin to use uh, faith specifically and the the fourth narrative that um, homosexuality is an African, that uh, community members begin to turn against uh, people that they have lived with all their lives. For example, you find that in most communities across the continent, Queer people or sexual diverse and gender variant individuals have names in the local language, which means that homosexuality has existed or same gender loving individuals and transgender, uh, trans diverse people have existed across the continent without any problems. And so this was that uh, dichotomy of um, uh, culture as religion now begins to create a more um, nuanced um, uh, perception around what is African and what, what is not. Mm-hmm. And 
So um, as long as um, for as long as Africa does not begin to define its own um, its own uh, uh, its own spectrum of what is African and what is not, and what mm. is uh, culturally acceptable and what is not, we'll continue running into these same problems. Mm. Um, on the on the flip side, you have the whole African. If you, if you travel across the continent, you'll find that the human dignity is actually a fundamental, um, it's a fundamental trait of being mm. African, affording well, people and individual human dignity. Mm. Let me, let me bring in uh, Neela there, Juliet, because we've got her back on the line. That's Neela Kushal, who is okay, from uh, Human Rights Watch. Uh, we've been talking about the rifeness and the perceptions around homosexuality, the different views that are coming uh, from Juliet Mbande and Lisa Lombard. Uh, your, your thoughts there, Neela, in terms of why it's so rough and just the uh, cultural taboos and also what uh, Juliet is highlighting, that it's not always from a community level, but uh, sometimes it reaches a government level where uh, there are uh, government views that uh, being uh, gay or lesbian is uh, not uh, African. Well, I think Juliet is exactly right there. Uh, this is something that we've seen a lot throughout the region where governments politicize issues of sexual orientation and gender identity. And they attempt to rile up people, uh, the general public, when they need to find a scapegoat. This is what we've seen in Uganda around the passage of the Anti-Homosexuality Act. We saw the same thing in Nigeria around the passage of the Same-Sex Marriage Prohibition Act. And we're seeing it right now in Egypt and in Tanzania. These are governments that are embattled by allegations of corruption, by ineffectiveness, by security problems, or simply by failing to deliver on their promises to bring development to the public. And we generally see as a rule that whenever a government has to feel embattled in that way, they try to find someone to pick on. Um, and unfortunately, LGBTI people often turn out to be that scapegoat. The government says, look, we're effective, we're doing something, we're harassing these people, we're rounding them up. And this proves that we care about the public, about upholding moral values. And, of course, um, you know, it's just a projection. It's a way to get the public to not pay attention to, to the other scandals on effectiveness um, and the problems of governance that are happening. So I think that um, people in every country, people in every continent, have different reactions to diversity of all kinds. Um, there are some cases where people struggle more to accept certain forms of diversity than others. But generally, um, as Julia said, people in Africa and elsewhere have historically been ready to embrace diversity. As long as no one is doing harm to the community, they are an accepted and productive member of the community. And I think, unfortunately, it's, uh, it's politics that is um, moving things away from that view, and as a result of this kind of politics is that people are pushed into the shadows, mm. pushed underground, and they're prevented from being the productive citizens that would be beneficial mm. um, to all of us here on the continent.
Well, I'm going to take a quick break and I'd like to unpack uh, uh, the thoughts that Lisa brought to the conversation. I, I want to come back to her and maybe we'll start the conversation with her uh, after this break, but we're going to take a quick one. Remember, we want you to interact with our social media. Uh, why do you believe uh, uh, that uh, there is such a huge clampdown currently on the African continent against uh, the homosexual community? Uh, give us your thoughts on our Twitter handle at Channel Africa one or at African Dialogue. I'm going to take a quick one and then we'll continue our conversation. This is Channel Africa, South Africa's official international public radio station on shortwave, internet and satellite. From an African perspective, Guess what? You can now listen to Channel Africa using Silozi, Chinyanja, Kiswahili, Portuguese, French and English, giving you an African perspective. Hi, my name is Tandalunye Nzovo and you are listening to Channel Africa. We are Channel Africa from an African perspective. Channel Africa, bringing you the African perspective. Well, thank you for joining us right here on our frequency 9625 kilohertz on the 31 meter band to Southern Africa. Remember, we are also on our website, www.channelafrica.co.za. If you're listening to us internationally, uh, you can listen to us in South Africa and the neighboring countries on DSTV on channel 802 on the audio bouquet. Now, I want to just look at this issue whereby uh, the taboos are actually can actually entrench these kind of uh, stereotypes. I want to come to you, Lisa. Uh, You were highlighting the issue of uh, there is no real scientific proof, the fact that the origins of uh, uh, same-sex attraction. And uh, But some of the issues that you highlighted from where I'm sitting, you highlighted that there could be an abusive past that a, a, a child might have or an individual might have or there could be issues of uh, exposure to uh, sexual content uh, from a young age. And those are some of those issues that you highlighted that could influence someone have the uh, same uh, sex attraction. Uh, another issue that worried me from where I'm sitting, and I, I, I think it's okay for me to challenge you on it, is the fact that you highlighted a lot of lifestyle stereotypes of uh, uh, homosexuals saying usually they are uh, oriented towards a very much of uh, a reckless lifestyle of drinking and so on and so on. Uh, Don't you think those views of uh, uh, homosexuals actually entrench uh, some of uh, these these stereotypes that um, contribute to uh, these uh, clamping down of homosexuals? Look, if it was a false statement and scientific reports and research did not prove it, then yes, I would agree with you. But there have been so many reports and intensive studies on, um, by organizations and experts who are neutral on the, on the topic, and they just want to know for information purposes, you know, because they look at both debates, you know, those who are for and against homosexuality, and then they find themselves in the middle. They're not really sure whether they should support it or not, you know. So then they do research of their own, and then this research comes up and proves. I'm not saying that all homosexuals are the same. 
I'm just saying that mm. studies say that the greater, the majority of homosexual, the homosexual community has this type of lifestyle. And I'm not just saying that because I'm quoting studies or experts or organizations who have done the research, but I come from the lifestyle myself. Mm. And every single friend that I have had, even myself, you know, we have... We have taken to that way of life, you know, a promiscuous lifestyle. And I know I'm putting myself on the line here, but I have to be brutally honest, you know, um, whatever that might mean, you know, um, um, to the perspective of somebody else or my reputation. But I, I, you need, you, people need to know that this is not a lifestyle that um, really um, liberates a person, you know. Um, and I will make reference to that because of so many other former homosexuals who have ex who have been through the therapy and so many of them you know can testify to that sexual brokenness that abuse somewhere along the line in their life and once they were able to deal with that they were able to get out of it mm. Juliet what are you thinks of these sentiments that uh, Lisa has highlighted uh, do you think that uh, they are actually should contribute to the bigger conversation around homosexuality should we even be debating where same sex attraction comes from or does that also contribute to the uh, really cutting down of the uh, community itself. Thank you so much, Benjamin. Um, that's a, that is a, it's a valid question. And um, Lisa, um, I don't know. You must have had, had a hard life as a homosexual because um, I think uh, it's important to have these conversations. Um, part of what we do at Amsha is make sure that we actually listen to people uh, we hear them out and we understand, we try and understand their perspective. However, we try and moderate conversations so that we do not embed stereotypes. Sure. Uh, stereotypically, in this case, uh, there are sections to the effect that queer people uh, fit into a certain stereotype. I, I'm personally, a, I've not, I've, I think it depends on context, it depends on where somebody's coming from. So you can't take, a, it's like taking all heterosexuals and saying, all heterosexual people just have babies or they have, uh, they're so promiscuous based on a certain stereotype that comes from a, a particular school of thought. Um, and then when, um, when, when, uh, when words like that are used in terms of propagating stereotypes, gay people just want to have fun, uh, it's a lifestyle, it's a choice, um, I think uh, the panelist is not very well read on the subject or has not really interacted with the wider LGBTI community across the continent. Because half of the people who actually identify as uh, 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 gay, lesbian, bisexual, transgender across the continent, they don't have it easy. They don't have the fun or the parties that the panelist refers to. In this case, it's a matter of life and death. Mm. So if... Uh, a cure was possible for some of these individuals, they would have taken the pill. Uh, but there's no choice. Uh, and even if it were a choice, um, why should it be uh, why should it be boxed and put into a second perception of what someone else thinks uh, LGBTI persons behave like? Mm. Um, and then uh, even within the, the same space or the same sphere of trying to uh, box um, sexual diverse and gender um, diverse individuals mm -hmm. across the continent. How do you come up with uh, accessions? How do you make accessions to the effect that uh, there are former homosexuals that we met with and these are the, we, we all think it was a life of partying and mm -hmm. I think it's, it's the, 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 
the narrative is false. It's a, it's a false narrative. It's, it's not the lived reality of most LGBTI persons across the continent. Uh, you have laws in certain countries where they will kill you because you're uh, sexual diverse or gender variant, mm. or you just... It, it, the, viol- the levels of violence, the levels of uh, discrimination that are lumped on the LGBTI community across the continent uh, is, not a, is not a laughing matter. Mm. So individuals would know if they choose, if they, had, if they could choose in some instances, sure. they would choose to not um, identify with uh, being... Uh, homosexual. Yeah, yeah I, I understand what you're saying. Maybe I should bring that to Neela because uh, we were talking briefly around this when we had our email conversation and I asked you uh, a very much of a huge co- uh, question that you thought uh, maybe needed more elaboration. It's interesting to touch on these issues and these uh, views that can come from different uh, 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 platforms of or, or interests because Neela, I was looking at some research that was done or some stories that uh, came out on especially with what's happening in Tanzania and I referred to the government saying that it would stop uh, privately run health centers from providing AIDS related services after uh, they accused uh, uh, providing services to homosexuals and the big claim there was the fact that uh, uh, it was the same homosexuals who were actually living a reckless life and uh, spreading HIV AIDS through that kind kind of lifestyle and uh, that is very much a big view when it comes to homosexuality just like Lisa highlighted earlier on that was part of her lifestyle she lived that lifestyle but sometimes it is that that informs uh, some views that are coming out uh, on the African continent well, yes, it's funny, when I hear Lisa talking, I wonder how much time she spent hanging around with heterosexual men, <laughs> uh, particularly heterosexual men in True. their 20s, in their 30s. True. When we talk about partying, when we talk about promiscuity, when we talk about lifestyles, I can think of plenty of people who are not gay uh, who have certain kinds of lifestyles that might fit into, into that category. And I wonder whether she thinks the solution for that is to go out and tell them they don't have to be heterosexual anymore. Maybe they should switch to being gay and these straight men will stop, uh, you know, their party lifestyles. Um, But on a more serious note, uh, there's a serious problem with with the government of Tanzania right now targeting HIV services, targeting the provision of those services to uh, men who have sex with men, as well as to sex workers, to people who inject drugs um, and to other key populations. And the idea that providing these services would somehow... um, spread HIV or encourage people to, to engage in behaviors that would put them at risk of HIV is, is completely upside down. Um, there's a very clear consensus that if you want to address HIV, you need to provide services that target um, vulnerable at-risk groups. At the same time, you also need to recognize that the majority of the people who are HIV positive on the continent are heterosexual people. So it's a complete myth that gay men have, are, are the majority of people with HIV mm-hmm. on the continent. Mm-hmm. Um, the highest rates of transmission on the continent are among heterosexual couples, and one of the biggest problems, of course, is people who um, are married mm-hmm. and in which one partner uh, is not faithful, and that's one of the largest causes of the spread of HIV right now. So, uh, you know, this is something that is very much evidence-based and and that I think, uh, you know, we ought to look at 
um, rather than the sort of stereotypes of certain people going out and, and having parties and spreading HIV. Um, when we look at government's obligations, though, the government has an obligation to make sure that everybody has access to the highest attainable standard of health. And that means that you need to provide HIV services for everyone, heterosexual couples, mm. homosexual couples, um, sex workers, people who inject drugs, in a safe and stigma-free environment. And unfortunately, um, as long as people are propagating stereotypes about LGBTI people, um, that, that prevents the kind of safe, conducive, um, stigma-free environment mm-hmm. that, that we need in order sure. to actually address HIV AIDS. Let me bring it to Juliet, and I'm going to be played uh, devil's advocate and take Lisa's side on uh, uh, the reasoning behind why we have the LGBT uh, community, because I always wonder, as a heterosexual myself, the fact that the origins of why people become homosexuals is a big question and there's people who have brought out all forms of sciences and the arguments around that are still not clear how it is kind of a scientific uh, 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 or a, gen- a genetic uh, reason Juliet and there are a lot of conversations around that what Lisa has been highlighting on our program that conversation, why are we not exploring it comprehensively even within the LGBT community? Or is it something that's of non-importance and non-essential when we speak about uh, uh, this particular topic? Uh, thank you, Benjamin. Um, I will just speak to uh, what I know. I know that gender is a social construct um, and it's, it's based on the roles that society or community wants or requires or expects individuals to play. Uh, there are certain roles that people, um, there are certain definitions of masculinity, there are certain definitions of uh, femininity, and we're all supposed to fit into those boxes. And if we don't... And some would say those, those boxes are biological. Uh, but biology and um, uh, biology is just uh, biology. Uh, it's like saying... Um, uh, saying that if someone is born with a, a, a specific a bodily organ, then that makes that makes them fit within a spectrum. So, for example, Benjamin, if you identify as a as a male, mm-hmm. it means that everything on the ladder, everything on that ladder that requires you to be a man should be you should tick all the boxes. Hypothetically, if you're out of employment and your wife or your spouse or your partner takes care of you, it means that you're not a man. It means that you shouldn't cry. It means that you can't hug your kids. I mean, some things are very, the boxes are silly. Mm. And because we, we understand that human beings are very diverse. We understand that uh, even now, up to date, science will never really understand how a human being works. So when individuals begin to use uh, biology as an argument for how one should be, um, it's totally, it's false. Because I personally, I identify as a cisgender um, uh, woman, but there are some times when I don't feel like a woman. 
uh, and it's not because I, my sexual orientation is a, a lesbian. Um, it's just that I also have heterosexual friends who tell me that sometimes I don't feel like a man or a woman in terms of what the lines say on that ladder. So, um, I mean, traditionally, I mean, since this whole conversation started with uh, cultural issues, uh, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. African myths, mm-hmm. you find that within African culture, I mean, don't go far. You, just here in South Africa, you have... Uh, a tradition of Sangoma, the lineage of people who believe that people can be two-spirited, mm-hmm. or an individual can take on the name of the spirit of their grandfather, and in that case, they can even change their name. Uh, you go across to Zambia, we have a tribe in Zambia that used to revere women who used to be gender the gender diverse or women who wouldn't ex- uh, exhibit the stereotypical gender traits, mm-hmm. uh, the, gen- the feminine traits, and they would... They used to pray and worship uh, those people. They used to call them the rainmakers or anything like that. I mean, you can go all the way to West Africa. You find different variations of how African culture embraced individuals who were gender uh, variant or had a different sexual orientation. Mm. Well, I've I've run out of time. I've got two minutes left, and I just want to get your final sentiments. I feel like we had to unpack some of those stereotypes and some of those views that come from different platforms. Forms. But Neela, just to wrap it up, in 30 seconds, your thoughts around how we engage with the homosexual community, because I feel at this moment as an African continent, the homosexual community is still peripheral to mainstream society. It's still the other. Uh, what more can we do to actually ensure that their rights are actually maintained? Well, I think, first of all, we need to set aside uh, the kind of question that you were just asking, which is, mm. you know, what makes someone LGBT or what makes someone homosexual? Um, Tell us the reasons we why we should do that. We start what? asking the question, yeah, sure. what makes someone heterosexual? Yeah, you yeah. know, what made you heterosexual? Why did sure. you decide to become heterosexual? Sure. Um, we don't really have an explanation for that. So let's mm. set aside those questions and focus on making sure that everyone has access to equal rights. Sure. Uh, let's make sure that nobody is arrested and detained, that nobody is denied access to health care, that nobody is denied access to employment, that nobody is a victim of violence because of their sexual orientation and gender identity. We need to all get on the same page mm-hmm. and understand that those are the priorities. And maybe once we guarantee those basic equal rights to everybody, then we can sit down and have a conversation with each other about what our heterosexuality, bisexuality, homosexuality, mm-hmm. gender identity means to us. It's important to focus on, on the rights first and foremost, and particularly stopping the violence, stopping the arbitrary arrest. Well, thank you all for giving us your time. I was going to come back to you, Lisa, but I've really run out of time. I have to move on. Uh, But uh, it was a a deliberate uh, uh, treatment to this program just to get the differing views of what's happening on the ground, some of the sentiments uh, that have been made and why these questions that are questioned actually can actually uh, lead to some views and also that there is an alternative view. I think it's something that we need to learn as Africans. I want to thank Lisa Lombard, who is a volunteer at Doctors of Life International and also a former homosexuality. Thank you for your contribution. I really appreciate you joining us on our show, Lisa. Thank you to Juliet Mbande as well, Communications and Media Advocacy Manager at African Men for Sexual Health and Rights. Thank you to Neela Koshal, who's a researcher at the LGBT Rights Division at Human Rights Watch. I feel like there is kind of a follow-up to this uh, conversation. I feel like we didn't touch on everything that we need to, just from a 
a rights perspective when it comes to homosexuality. I think those rights still need to be affirmed and something that needs to be entrenched in our African community. So maybe we'll do a follow-up to this conversation. Thank you all for giving us your time. Thank you. Thanks. Sure.